your regular schedule of Time Warp Radio to present a very specially broadcasted bonus episode. She's bringing the evil to Time Warp Radio today. Legendary cult leader and filmmaker and iconic drag queen, the whore for gore, Peaches Christ. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Hi. I just want to tell you that I want to be you when I grow up. <laughs> well, it, yes, okay. I I think from the outside it looks a lot more glamorous than it actually might be. <laughs> no, I just I identify with your uh with just you. I too was raised Catholic and I think that you do exactly what I would love to do for a career. Like what you produce like oh my gosh an amazing uh, just you have so many projects I and know. like you produce show after show after show you're incredibly active but then you're also a filmmaker of uh, man cult horror masterpiece <laughs> no thank you so much thank you yeah, I guess, I mean, it's not, I didn't, I certainly didn't set out to do anything specific. Um, I was just really lucky that uh, I, well, in the spirit of this podcast, I must <laughs> say I was, uh, I was a kid who grew up feeling like an outsider. And luckily I had parents who were kind of like, you know, the best thing you can do in life is to figure out what makes you happy and then you know, mm -hmm. make a living from that thing. You know, if you can mm -hmm. do a job that you love, uh, that's the best thing. And so I loved all these weird things growing up, you know, horror and haunted houses and, you know, uh, queer stuff that I didn't even know was queer. But it was when I was, you know, like in junior high that I both, I discovered around the same time, uh, the world of John Waters which for a kid, you know, growing up in Maryland was a big, big eye-opening <laughs> experience. And then uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So, you know, those two things really, you know, at a very, you know, formative time in my life, 13, yes. 14, 15 years old, really kind of um, blew my mind and sort of uh, set me on a path, but not a path that I understood or could have predicted or mapped out, you know, it was just the path of don't dream it, be it, you yes. know. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. What were your first, which did you watch first? Did you watch Rocky Horror or what was your first John Waters film you were exposed to? Well, you know, it's funny, the first, so the first real knowledge I had of John Waters was uh, while they were shooting and releasing the movie Hairspray because in <gasps> Maryland, uh, you know, we, we're obviously... Good morning, yeah. Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. that came later. So that was the musical, which came, yes. uh, mm -hmm. you know, sometime later. So this is the original uh, movie with Ricky Lake and Divine. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. um, and, and it was made uh, and filmed in Maryland, in Baltimore, of course. 
And uh, as a kid growing up, even just to hear that they were making a movie where I lived was mm -hmm. amazing, right? But then to hear that it's a movie about racial integration and being fat and that yes. um, the mother in the film was played by a man, whoa, <laughs> you know, that was just outrageous. <laughs> and so um, I couldn't believe that this movie was made um, so close to where I was growing up and that it was shot in neighborhoods I recognized and that it was truly transgressive, you know, I mean, yeah. You know, it's just, it's such a great, great movie. Um, but what it did was it was, it, it opened Pandora's box for a young kid yes. to go mm -hmm. and discover, you know, pink flamingos and female trouble and desperate living, you know, <laughs> yes. at a really inappropriately young age because of course, <laughs> you know, of course Hairspray is sort of the gateway to all that, but you know, Hairspray yes. was fam family friendly. It was the crossover movie. So yeah, I went yeah. and, um, and you, I don't know how old you are, but you you must know that in the in the eighties we could go kids could go to the video store and basically rent whatever you wanted. There was no sort of carding or you know mm -hmm. it, as long as your parents were okay with it or turned a blind eye, you could pretty much get anything. And half the time when you were renting a movie like Pink Flamingos, your parents didn't even know what it was. You know, yeah, um, they thought it was probably a Disney cartoon. Right, <laughs> it, it's very colorful. It sounds very fun. And, you know, uh, but that was actually controversial because we went to my friend Kathleen's house on the Eastern Shore and her older brother had rented it for us. And mm. he was gay and he knew exactly what he was renting. And he, <laughs> and he showed it to us. I mean, this is before any of us, of course, were out of the closet, but he, he showed it to us. And Kathleen's mother then watched it later, realizing that we had all watched it. And then called everyone's parents, and the, uh, the, the video store was ironically called Mom's Video. Oh uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> on Kent Island, and sh and and Mom got a call, and it was a whole thing. I'm um, sorry, I let your son watch someone eat dog shit. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I just have to explain to you the content of the movie because you may not know uh, just how bad it, it, it got. Uh. I feel like Pink Flamingos is, I don't know, like even one of the more tame, like early-ish John Waters movies, even though there's like the chicken fucking and the dog shit eating. But still, I feel like that's one of the more tame ones. It definitely, uh, I taught a class in cult movies at um, SFAI a few years ago, and I was able to show young people all of these cult movies. And of course, mm. the, the whole course had to have a major trigger warning. Like, yeah. you know, don't, oh don't take this class if you're, <laughs> you know, easily offended in, in any way. And so we, we watched yeah, all these different, stuff. you know, different movies. Mm -hmm. um, and I was really impressed with how uh, much shock value Pink Flamingos still has to this day. Yeah. Um, it, in, in comparison with things like A Clockwork Orange, where kids now are so desensitized to violence and rape and, oh, you know, man, yeah. some, you know, so me watching Clockwork Orange thinking, oh, God, I hope this is, you know, I hope this is okay for them because it's really brut brutal and and because of things they've seen on the internet and things they've grown up watching, the violence in that film didn't phase them. But Pink Ugh. Flamingos, <laughs> because, you know, because they're singing assholes and, 
you know, the chicken <laughs> yeah. fucking and, you know, and Divine Son, you know, at one point asks, <laughs> yes. you know, she, she gives him a blowjob and, you know, uh, you know, even though we know that that's not a mom and a son, it's still very uh -huh. taboo, you know, and very yeah. shocking, you know. And I think in many ways, Rocky Horror, while uh, it's crossed over and become uh, as family friendly and accepted as it gets, you know, <laughs> to this, strange. To, it's so strange, but if yeah. you really watch it, I mean, and, and think about it, it's still uh, dealing with such transgressive ideas and transgressive and, uh, you know, boundary pushing concepts that I think in sort of the popularity of it um, gets erased a little bit, you know? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, one of the things that we recently covered on our show, we're doing it, you know, seven minute chunk at a time. We just covered the bedroom scenes where Frank comes in and sexually assaults both Brad and Janet. And mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it wasn't super racy or anything for the times because there were definitely a lot more uh, like really terrible rape jokes at the time. But it still is like a very heavy subject to be talking about in a musical you know <laughs> right and and what's interesting about that i think is that at the time what was shocking was that they were considered prudish mm -hmm. and it wasn't what we find shocking about it or should be shocked about it which is that there wasn't consent right mm -hmm. like right. at the time yeah. it was more like and, and the fact that they then submit <laughs> Yeah, so quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas now we kind of go, oh, that's really, that's really icky. And mm -hmm. that's kind of, you know, uh, I mean, it's definitely, I think, the, the, the part of the film that I find to be the most, uh, what's the word, <sighs> dated and complicated because, yes. you know, yeah. it, it doesn't, it doesn't really jive with the Franken, yes, Frankenfurter is awful. I mean, we know he murders people, you know, like serves them right. for dinner like horrible things <laughs> but somehow that seems more acceptable than you know manipulating people into having sex with them you know it's just it's a weird yeah. thing it doesn't it doesn't co coalesce with the character right and he has well okay i had a question for you mm -hmm. regarding the film in the denton affair the the pages you can't read them when you're watching the movie but if you look into the pages uh it kind of makes the bedroom scene important in the fact that frank is seducing janet uh for procreation reasons for his species mm, interesting i don't know how you feel about <laughs> taking the denton affair pages as like canon right 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 um I think that's really interesting and uh, actually makes sense, you know, as far mm -hmm. as, um, you know, my problem with it would be, well, is that a way to sort of um, erase his bisexuality? You know, like what, why? Mm -hmm. But but I also, I do like the fact that, you know, Frank was, is an alien. Um, right. And so... I don't know. I don't know. It's never, it's, it's funny. I think if you ask the people, like, I wonder if we asked people who, you know, are really familiar with the material, if that makes sense to them, um, what they would say. I don't know. It varies because it's like, it's gotten to, the fandom 
has gotten to a point where why not look into that sort of thing? Like we obsessively study the film to match every single character facial expression and also be like meta aware that you're performing in a theater too. So like you're also having to be an actor and carry an arc for a performance (laughs) And well, and not only that, but we've been talking about this same damn movie for 45 years, <laughs> so there's not much else to really, like, there's no more fun facts to uncover about it that haven't already been, been uncovered. So I think what we've been unless doing... Unless there's, like, a greater <laughs> linear narrative, unless yeah. it's not all random nonsense. And that's kind of you what know? we're trying to uncover with this show, is, is what's the deeper narrative of this movie? <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, it makes sense. I think that's, I mean, we want to live in these worlds that like, you know, I mean, I loved, uh, we all loved The Wizard of Oz growing up. Like, mm-hmm. who doesn't oh, want yes. to, you know, end up uh, in in the Emerald City and, and you know, mm-hmm. go visit the witch's castle and all that amazing stuff. So, you know, kind of expanding upon that universe, I think in some ways, I think it's why shock treatment was so reviled, uh-huh. you know, when it came out, uh-huh. was because it dared to change the universe and the, you know, the rules and, you know, we weren't kind of yeah. in the same world. Um, yeah. And it didn't, yeah, it didn't make, it didn't, it wasn't giving the fans what they want. So it's like this thing where, okay, well, we're not gonna get it from Richard O'Brien, so let's give it to ourselves. <laughs> Which I love, you know. Yeah. So then you watched John Waters movies. Mm -hmm. And then you watched Rocky Horror Mm -hmm. for the first time. You were immediately obsessed then too, right? Yeah. And I mean, in Maryland, you know, there was a, we would go to the Marley Station Mall. uh, Uh And there was a shadow cast there. Um, And so it was one of the, the few things that I was allowed to do like as a young teenager that was late at night. And also I was kind of, I was a nerd, you know, so I wasn't I wasn't looking to like, you know, uh, be out partying all night. So my parents actually like trusted me. So I was allowed to do things at a young age. Um, and, you know, I remember going to that uh, screening the first time and just being completely flabbergasted, you know, and just, Mm-hmm. I thought it was so, I mean, again, growing up really con- in this sort of stifling Catholic school environment uh, where kids mm-hmm. were mostly, you know, the heroes were all jocks and you know, it was very cliched. Um, I didn't find uh, much inspiration there. Um, so, yeah. you know, going to this Rocky Horror screening, um, it was just, it was amazing. It was, I just fell in love with it. And yeah. there wasn't that kind of event for like any other movie in our area because mm-hmm. I wasn't mm-hmm. able to get, you know, even in DC and Baltimore, you know, DC and Baltimore aren't New York. They're not San Francisco or LA. So there, there weren't, you know, sure. fantastic, fabulous movie screenings <laughs> going on, you know? <laughs> so yeah. Rocky Horror was like the closest thing I had to, anything um fabulous you know in 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 regards to Mm -hmm. cinema exhibition yeah did you did you join the shadow cast yeah i did not um and i will say that i always still kind of felt like a 
a voyeur. You know, I was really inspired by ah. what they did. But growing up in Maryland um, and going to Catholic school every day, I did. I was part of an improv troupe, um, mm -hmm. which was fun, really great, and certainly I learned a lot. And I was, of course, in drama. At, you know, at the drama club at school and everything. But I, um, yeah, of course. But I wasn't. Yeah, of course. Yes. I wasn't. Same. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was like, you know, very aware that part of my survival was to sort of be as stealth as possible. So mm. to get away yeah. with as much creating. So I wrote plays and I directed and created a haunt, you know, haunted house and did all that stuff as a kid. But I was very aware, even things like going to see. Truth or Dare, Madonna's documentary, mm -hmm. um, I did secretly because I knew that it was a tell. Um, and so ironically, going to see Truth or Dare would have been considered more gay than even, mm -hmm. you know, going to Rocky Horror um, yeah. at the time because Rocky Horror was was more punk rock. And... Uh, but, but, but a guy, a teenager going to see Truth or Dare <laughs> was one thing, you know. I mean, I even snuck in to see, you know, Paris is Burning um, when it was oh, out yes. in theaters. Um, mm -hmm. Because I knew that a kid my age, there, it only meant one thing, you know, if you were right. interested in that movie at that time. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm sad to say, but I was too um, focused on just getting out of Maryland uh, well, safely. hey, there's nothing wrong with voyeurism. If, if anything, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ruth and Magenta tell us right. that, that's like the lifestyle to lead, essentially. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, exactly. And then, you, and then you got to San Francisco, and I mean, sooner or later, you did make those dreams come true, and you were able to yeah. put on Rocky Horror. Basically, and do it yeah. All the time. <laughs> oh my gosh. They're yeah. Incredible. I want, I, I have not seen it because I'm not, I don't live near enough. Where do you like all live? It. We're in Orange County. So we're like just ah. a teensy bit too far to for it to be right. super convenient to make it up to San Francisco. But every yes. single year I would see your casting for your show and mm -hmm. I'd go, this is the year I'm going to go. This is the year I'm going to go year after year. And then I've <laughs> never gone. Right. So you right. have to <laughs> obviously resume when please oh, please would... please we're begging <laughs> yeah i mean i'm so looking forward to that when we can all get on stage again my god yes because you oh my gosh well if i lived in san francisco i would see you every opportunity that i got because <laughs> you are brilliant yes and oh, so you. innovative and hilarious <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> like your face hurts when you watch you. Your... <laughs> you just are so. You're so great at improv. You have great jokes. I just could talk. Oh, thank you. Like we could gush about you for hours. like hours. Yeah, literally hours. <laughs> oh, please don't. It makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> but that I I appreciate it. I do. Thank you. No, it's just like there are certain people that you just get drawn to, I mean, even just the sound of your voice makes you want to keep listening. And mm -hmm. even before I knew who you were in a broader sense, I was just like, oh, Peaches Christ, that's the one that does the San Francisco thing. And then I would like sometimes hear you on like an interview or something. And it's just, 
your voice makes people happy, I think, mm-hmm. is what draws people You're to you. You're a good storyteller. You are. You're a very good storyteller. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot because that's the thing. When I talk about, like, what I do, ultimately I'm like, you know, it's all storytelling. Whether I'm, mm-hmm. you know, creating a show for the stage or I'm speaking in front of a class or I'm making a movie, mm-hmm. um, you know, for me, it all begins and ends with what story do we want to tell? And that's why when people say, oh, you do all these different things. And I'm like, not really. Because <laughs> I don't <laughs> actually, I, I don't film, I'm not, a, you know, I don't, I'm not a good camera person. I, I'm not a good um, prop builder. I'm not a good costume maker, mm-hmm. you know, but I can create a story. So that's, that, that's the through line for me is the story part of it. Well, it's been 10 years since All About Evil. Mm-hmm. So surreal. <sighs> we were supposed to do a, a big 10-year anniversary show um, uh, this year. And I then, think you should course... instead bring back the Midnight All About Evil tour. <laughs> I would, I would, I that would, I don't know if I'm, I'm up for that. That was one of the harder <laughs> things I've done in my life. But I was going to do... Uh, you know, we were going to do it at the Victoria Theater where we shot All About mm-hmm. Evil and do a big reunion mm-hmm. show, um, which I think we'll still do. It's just weird that, Shit. we, you know, we couldn't do it this year. And then we thought yeah. about doing it online, you know, like getting the cast together, Natasha and, you know, uh, Thomas and Elvira. Cassandra. And every, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and doing like an online thing. And then I kind of said, you know what? I want to do it in person. We'll just wait, you know. Yes. So, Yeah. Countess no, absolutely. We'll there. <laughs> Fabulous. Oh <laughs> that would be so. I would love to hear your, in your words, your synopsis for this uh, off the wall, bonkers, like meta movie that you made. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, the thing is, is I, uh, a lot of people don't know that I was running. Um, a single screen old art house movie theater, which is what I was doing to pay the bills. And so Midnight Mass, the show that I did originally, before it was at the Castro Theater, which is a big movie palace, which is where we do our shows now. It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, 1,400 seats, and it's in the Castro, and it's historic, and it's amazing. Ugh. Well, of course, I didn't start at the Castro, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I started at a, at a little theater that was like a 400-seat uh, mm-hmm. theater called The Bridge, which has since closed, sadly. Um, but I knew it was going to close eventually. The writing was on the wall. And part of the motivation for me writing the script for All About Evil was what lengths are we willing to go to to save these sort of mm. old movie houses? And uh, so I came up with this character of this woman, this young woman who who inherits this old movie theater from her father, who's kind of a William Castle type. And She's a librarian, and she, and she's you know very uh, mousy, and you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know. But but in order to keep the the bills paid, she ends up starting to screen her own short movies, um, mm-hmm. where she's actually murdering the people in the movies because she <laughs> she you know acts she she snaps and she kills her evil stepmother and. Um, and it sends her on this this journey of, of becoming this, you know, kind of vapid 
um, power-hungry directress. And it's really, a, again, like, much like Rocky Horror and the, the world mm -hmm. of, in the films of John Waters, you know, I created a, a very specific surreal universe, you know, yes. um, mm -hmm. where, where, you know, these people, these characters, because she puts together this crew, you know, with evil twins and, you know, a, a sort of a meth addict usher and a, <laughs> a, a Vincent Price style projectionist and, you know, old man named Mr. Twigs. This was all just like a total fantasy for me. And, and they make movies based on, you know, um, the great works of literature and, you know, but they're slasher movies. Um, so, you know, A Tale of Two Severed Titties and The Naming of the Shrew. <laughs> the slasher and the rye and uh and you know it becomes um a, a success in san francisco and her biggest fan is this kid named steven who's a high school student who loves horror movies and he gets all wrapped up into it and he's the one who figures out that she's murdering people and you know that kind of sends us into the third act and you know and so i mean ultimately 10 years later you know i've been talking more about all about evil and lately than I'm used to. And it's like, oh, I get it. Like Natasha Leone's character, the lead, the Deborah yes. character, who's the yes. filmmaker, Natasha's character in many ways is sort of peaches <laughs> and sort of my, my sort of vision of peaches of like this sort of mm -hmm. crazy cult leader putting on a show and doing, you know, uh, crazy things. And then Steven, the high school student is really more Joshua. Uh, and, you know, so if you're going to do a psycho psychological breakdown of the film, you know, you've got both I parts of that. my personality, you know, kind of battling each other. <laughs> yeah. I love that so much. So I don't think we, so I, so the company that I worked for, the bridge was run by a company called Landmark Theaters. And, yes. you know, as land, as I, be, as I became more successful, um, as a, as a theater manager and then as peaches, I have to say Landmark mm -hmm. Theaters really, really supported me. Um, and so I, I actually ended up going and, and doing um, a bunch of stuff at, at lots of landmark theaters. Um, <laughs> the really one well, the one closest to you, I think, is called the Rialto, which is in Pasadena. Yes, there's the Rialto, and then there's the New Art Theater up in Santa the Monica. The New Art, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I've, do, I've done shows at the New Art, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Our sister cast, um, Sins of the Flesh, performs yes. at the New Art. I've worked with them. They're oh so gosh. wonderful. Yeah, we love that's, Sins. Uh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you ever want to do Peach and Furder. <laughs> I should. Yeah. Again. Well, I mean, we should. I, I, I've been, I work a lot with um, Patricia Quinn and more recently now with Nell Campbell. And I keep mm -hmm. thinking, you know, the three of us should go on the road because, please, you know, I get along with them so well. They're so lovely mm -hmm. to work with. And Barry. Barry Bostwick is also yeah, lovely. Yeah, Barry's such a sweetheart. Oh, my gosh, yes. We, the, one of the last shows I did, the only show I did this year, was a Rocky Horror show uh, for the 45th oh, yeah. anniversary with Pat and Barry and Nell. And mm -hmm. um, I was saying to them, we should take this show on the road. We should do it, you know, we should do it. So who knows, maybe for the 50th. I don't know. I don't want to wait that long though, you know. No, I want to do it start. now, but. Yeah, start yeah. performing it now and then it'll be massive by the time. Right. I had questions about them too, because you've had a lot, like you just said, you've had a long relationship with them and mm -hmm. you frequently moderate interviews between three gigantic personalities <laughs> that just like will yell shut up 
to each other to like mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. because they're old old friends with so yeah. much chemistry friends, still. friends for decades and decades yeah what is that like for you yes. specifically <laughs> it's hard <laughs> um because i i feel like as peaches my um role with all of these shows whether i'm doing a rocky horror tribute or a john waters tribute or i've done so many of these types of shows you know Mm -hmm. with with fan big fan uh what's the word audiences fan-based audiences so they're not Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. your average movie going audiences like i create shows where people who who come are obsessed with these things Mm -hmm. and um so my job and the way I look at Peaches is I'm a channel for that love and that admiration. So I I don't like it when I go to shows with people I admire and the host or the MC is trying to be on the level of the guest, you know? <laughs> sure. It's like you yeah. should be there to enhance the experience, to navigate it, to um, be entertaining, Absolutely. but never, yeah. but it's always to showcase the guests of honor. Now, with um, one person at a time, because I've done shows with just Barry, and I've done shows <laughs> with just Pat, um, and you know, or just Bruce Campbell, or just you know whoever mm-hmm. um, right, El- yeah. Elvira or whatever, it is so much easier because you're dealing with one big personality and you're showering them with love and affection and attention. Mm-hmm. But any show, any show I do where I've got more than one person on stage, it becomes challenging. <laughs> Because, you know, you're then trying to showcase people. Now, if it's a director and an actor, it's not as hard because they each get a different kind of attention. Yes. But if it's, if, sure. but if it's, if it's actors, especially three actors from the, <laughs> the, the most uh, beloved cult movie of all time, mm. Um, mm. I'll, I'm not going to lie, it's hard, you know, when you've got Pat... Nell and Barry, three, like three larger than life superstars, <laughs> you know, in their own right. Each of them, you know, could fill Each um, of them have hours. huge fan bases individually totally. that each want to see equal interview content from right. every single one of them. Yeah. And like you say, because they've been friends for so long and they've known each other for so long, there's a comfort um, with, with being, um, you know, direct to each other that, that is very kind of, can be kind of shocking. And, um, you know, and I also like them because especially Pat and Nell, I think Barry, it, well, it's funny. I'll say this and I don't talk about this very often, but I've noticed that I don't think I've ever talked about it in an interview. I've noticed that. The cast, the family that existed in London for the stage show mm-hmm. obviously bonded to such a degree where you can tell by the way they talk about each other and the way they talk about Rocky yeah. is often the stage show uh, more so than the movie. Yeah. And okay. uh, so Pat and Nell have a different bond with each other than they do with Barry. And the Hollywood uh, film experience, Mm -hmm. the way I would describe it is 
the London folks that had already done the stage show showed up there and the Brad and Janet were really like Brad and Janet because here are two, here are two Hollywood actors who've been in movies meeting these British freaks who are truly punk rock, you know, like truly punk rock, you know, Mm -hmm. truly queer, truly weird, you know, completely, Mm -hmm. truly from the underground. So you've got Richard, Nell, Pat, you know, um, and Tim, of course. Um, And then then you've got Meatloaf, Susan, and Barry, who are the epitome of Hollywood. And so I think (laughs) to this day, that's still the way it is. So Pat and Nell can kind of fight with each other in a way that two sisters would. I mean, real sisters. They banter. Yes, it's intense. And then the two of them will resent Barry the way, you know, um, you know, the way that they probably did, you know, all 45 years ago. But I think, you know, all together, they love each other. You know, I think they really oh, do yeah. love and respect each other. But I think that bond between Pat, Nell, Richard, and Tim, especially, yeah. um, is, you know, it's just so Possible. strong. Yeah, it's yes. so strong. It's so intense. It's so, I mean, it's so familial. Um, and so yeah, ba- could, Barry you, is a little bit of an outsider. You, know, you could like, totally see the bond between Nell and Tim at the during the Wisdoms um, Halloween live reading. Uh-huh. Like, it seemed like a brother and sister like talking That's to each other. That's what it's like. And I think probably Jim Sharman as well. Because yeah. even though Jim isn't... <sighs> Uh, you know, on in the spotlight as much as they are right. as far as these sort of reunion shows go, when they're talking, it's the same way with John and Mink, the way they talk about mm-hmm. um, Divine or Edith Massey. Like, if you sure. weren't part of that, I mean, these people were all part of this thing before it was a thing. That's right. got to affect your trust, you know. Whereas by the time they're making a movie in L.A., it had become a thing, obviously. Yeah. Um, so I think I think that kind of a bond is so fascinating and so sweet and so special. But then when they get in a fight in public, it's very <laughs> it's very uncomfortable <laughs> and very real, you know. But they totally are sisters. You're totally right. Yeah. They like bicker just like sisters, but then they still yeah. absolutely love each other. Yeah. Yeah. In the end. So oh, for cute. sure. <laughs> well, and then I was curious because you get to ask them all of the fan questions you get to ask Mm -hmm. them how their opinions of the movie have changed over over the years yeah like what a good social study on your (laughs) on just your own personal behalf to know that like this is how nell felt at the 35th and Uh this was her kind of response to fan questions and then this is how it's evolved to her feeling on it today. Do you notice right. any of that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, maybe not as much. Um, mm-hmm. You know what I'll say? I feel like they are more, there's more of an affinity and a love for this um, marriage that they have and the legacy that they're mm-hmm. leaving than maybe there was earlier on. I think yeah. when something, and I, I think, again, being friends with so many different cult 
uh, people who've been part of you know oh, yeah. things that have become cult over the years. I think there's this period, you know, whether you're Patricia Quinn or Mink Stoll or Divine even or whoever, mm -hmm. where you're like, okay, I don't want to be known for pink flamingos for my whole life, and I I don't want to be known for Rocky Horror my whole life. Like I'm a person. I'm gonna do other things. I'm gonna mm -hmm. I'm gonna make other work because, you know. Fair enough, you know, that, that makes yeah. sense. Um, but I also think, uh, and I think you don't necessarily understand the fan response to these things because you were on the other side of it. You were creating it. Right. You, right. Mm -hmm. you weren't a fan, you were an actor. Um, uh, yeah. and, you're, and it was your friend's, you know, vision, you know. Uh, so they don't sort of get the feelings that we have as fans. Um, but as, as time goes on and as they meet more and more fans and as other projects, you know, um, drift away and their what uh, legacy, yeah, their, le yeah. their legacy becomes um, clearer, like, oh, shit. Like, you really get the sense now that Mink, Patricia, not so much John Waters, he doesn't in engage in it, but I think Patricia, Mink, Nell, Elvira, Cassandra, especially. Yeah. They now have a much better understanding, a deeper understanding of how they've changed people's lives that I think oh, yeah. even 10, 20 years ago, it was uncomfortable for them to even acknowledge it. You know, yeah. it was it was something they weren't comfortable even acknowledging or that they understood. I remember being with Mink Stoll once. This is years <laughs> ago. And someone came up to her and showed her a tattoo that they had. And on one arm they had Divine and on the other arm they had Mink. And it was they both were oh. from Pink Flamingos. And the guy walked away and I knew the guy. He was a sweetheart. He came to all my shows. And uh, and he's still a friend of mine. And he, I hope he doesn't listen to this because uh, he doesn't know this. But he walked away, and Mink was like, "God, what a fucking weirdo!" And you know, and I remember thinking, like, "Wait, he'd wait, appreciate what do that you mean? compliment." He'd be like, "She called me a weirdo." I love it. Right, but achieved. she meant it like, she, yeah, she, she didn't, she didn't mean it as a compliment, you know. And part of it's like for her. It'd be like you or I, someone coming up to us and saying, like, look, I have pictures of you and my and your friend on my arms. Like they don't <laughs> mm -hmm. see it from our perspective. They don't really yeah. get it. Now, over time, today, I think all of those people have a better understanding. And I think part of their understanding, and I think Nell actually articulates it a lot, is how much they've done to open doors for queer people. Um yeah, and yeah. Uh, outsiders and depressed people and you know people mm -hmm. who you know don't feel like they fit in and and more important than the legacy of the, making the movie is the effect the movies had on the lives of people it touched so I think they know yes. now anyway sorry that's a really long-winded no, answer no, to your no, question no 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 because I, I was just going to ask because you've you've said before that Rocky Horror saves lives yeah and I was gonna ask you to tell me more about that. Well, I think, you know, it's funny because there was this uh, campaign uh, a while ago that Dan Savage did called It Gets Better, where I it was Dan basically. Savage. Yeah. yeah, and it was it was a really cool campaign, and it was to really let kids know who were feeling alone that it gets better. And if you're, you know, uh, especially if you're queer, 
and you're you know in a family that is uh, not supportive or a community that's not supportive Absolutely. that it gets better. And so I was thinking like, huh, what was my it gets better video, <laughs> you know? And I was mm -hmm. like thinking about it, and it's like, oh well, it was the Rocky Horror Picture Show, you know, because watching it and finding the community around it, uh, it really let me know that there was a place for me mm -hmm. and um, just the fact that weirdos would even make that movie you know <laughs> yeah. uh, that you know I felt like they understood me so well and I think you know Rocky Horror uh, especially because of like the literal community that it uh, gave rise to um, you know it was a it was a place for people who didn't feel like they fit in you mm -hmm. know to the other sort of traditional uh, gathering places for teenagers, like, you know, athletics and music or whatever, you know, and Rocky Horror was kind of this, this other thing, you know, mm -hmm. um, and I do think, you know, the, the It Gets Better campaign was, you know, in a way designed to uh, help lower the number of people who killed themselves that were LGBTQ. Yeah, yeah. And I think Rocky Horror has, you know, I, I, done that for people. I absolutely agree. Yeah, you make me, that makes me want to cry. You, I totally oh. <laughs> identify with, uh, yeah, all of it. It totally was a respite for uh, an otherwise very strict Catholic upbringing that yeah. I didn't even know it could be like this. Like, what? That's so cool. And people perform the movie. Like, that's yeah. so that's kind of weird like that's theater and it's also I love movies like and I'd acted as a kid so I was always wanting to like fill that bubble mm -hmm. and you know do what you love it doesn't feel like work yeah I I, I guess you that kind of answers another <laughs> question I had for you of like Rocky Horror dot 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 as a religion question mark <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's well, it's funny because I feel like creating a show called Midnight Mass. Uh, yes. Where we screened, oh my gosh, I wanted you know, to talk to you about that too. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, where we screened um, movies uh, like Rocky Horror and mm -hmm. you know uh, whatever I felt like was worthy of celebrating. You know, to me, I started to argue that for some people, the cinema is our church. And it's where do we go to worship what we love. And, yeah, absolutely. You know, I love that. Um, and so I'm much more comfortable worshiping movies and getting together, you know, sharing a fellowship with other weirdos who like the same movie. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's a much safer religion. So I, I, I really, I really <laughs> believe in you know making you know. Of course, my stuff was all tongue in cheek and parody and making fun of religion in many ways. But brilliant. You're a drag queen performing as Peaches Christ holding midnight mass <laughs> services. Yeah. Yeah. That like like ladies like my mom would be like, Oh, the they're having a midnight mass on a random Friday? I'll go yeah. to that. Oh yeah, we had people they had people show up. We had the League of Catholic Voters protest <laughs> us. You know. It was crazy. Yeah. Um so yeah, it's like it's like I, uh, I I'm not really a fan of religion. So it mm -hmm. um, was my way of of kind of saying, 
hey, if, you know, if I love these things, I'm going to make this my religion. And so mm. we did. <laughs> yeah. It, what is, so if you can't pick Rocky Horror, what is the ultimate midnight movie? Well, if, let's say we can't pick Rocky Horror mm-hmm. and we can't pick Pink Flamingos. <laughs> okay, fair. I would say, for me, probably Showgirls. <gasps> oh, oh, I love Showgirls. <laughs> yeah, I just, it, I love it so much. And I think it fits into that canon of, you know. Absolutely. I think Rocky Horror and um, Pink Flamingos, Showgirls. And mommy, mommy dearest, you know, like there's these certain things that are just like, oh my god, to see them with an audience, like in a full auditorium late at night, you know, just relishing in the in the insanity Mm -hmm. of all of it. Um, But yeah, probably my my pick would be Showgirls. I love it. Do you have a favorite movies list? Do you keep track of those kinds of things? I don't because I get too OCD about, <laughs> you know, like, like yes. <laughs> what I, you know, it, it, it would be like torture for me to put together, you know, a top favorite. Now, you know, I'm often asked what my favorite horror movie is. And so I basically usually answer with A Nightmare on Elm Street. But mm, mostly ooh. what I mean by that is that it was the the most inspiring to me because it was it was mixed fantasy and horror and, you know, Freddie yeah, was so sure. sassy. But I don't like picking favorite anything, you know. What about the third uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Dream Warriors? Oh, it's just brilliant. It's so good. I mean, <laughs> and it's, it's the gayest a, you know, one. It's so good. Yeah, it's just it's so – well, the gayest one is actually part two. Part uh, two, you would yeah, say? Yeah, yeah. So okay. part three is Dream Warriors where all the teenagers – joined together oh, that's in the a one where they're in the mental physical. asylum. Yeah. Yes. Part two is actually where the screen queen is a man um, yes, played yes, by yes. Mark Patton. He plays Jesse. And that was very, very gay. I mean, so gay that it's almost shocking now when you rewatch it because you're like, how did they not know that this was gay? Like, they <laughs> say they didn't know they were making a gay movie. And you watch it and you're like, how? So, you know, and if your listeners are... Well, both movies. Uh, so it's funny. I've kind of become the uh, the cult movie um, queen who's in Guru. documentaries yes. now. Yeah. So uh, there's a documentary called "You Don't Know Me" about the showgirls phenomenon mm. of showgirls okay. being, you know, a cult movie and people hating showgirls but then loving showgirls. Uh, and then there's also a documentary about the second Nightmare on Elm Street called "Scream Queen." My Nightmare on Elm Street, um, and I happen to be in both of those movies. Oh, well, hey. We'll have to check them out then. Yes, 100 <laughs> Yeah, they're both percent. really good. That's the other thing. Like, I was so excited to be asked, or I'm always excited to be asked to be in anything. No, anything but, you touch turns to gold because you're No, I don't have anything like to do with it, though. I was just asked <laughs> to be in it. There is plenty of things I've been in that I will never talk to you about. <laughs> you know, that I, I, you know, that probably won't ever see the light of day and haven't really gone anywhere. But both, I mean, You Don't Know Me opened at the Tribeca Film Festival. It's played all over the world. Um, Scream Queen is now streaming on Shudder, and it was one of the top 
movies of the year. So I, I'm so proud of those filmmakers because Heck honestly, yeah. I've had I've nothing to do with the making of those movies other than showing up for an interview. <laughs> and um, you know, it's both both movies are about things I love. Two movies I love, and uh, it's so cool that they've done so well. So yeah, that's incredible. Well, I had a, a then. Your opinions on other midnight movies? What's your thoughts on the room? So my, my, I have mixed feelings about it. I think the room is really, really interesting and enjoyable, and I actually uh -huh. really liked the, uh, what is the James Franco movie? The called? Disaster Artist. Yes, the Disaster yeah. Artist. Sorry, I forgot for a moment. I thought that was really, I really enjoyed it, but mm -hmm. when I went to see the, so the room in San Francisco was where it was one of the first places to become uh -huh. a real midnight movie because it was shot in yeah. San Francisco and San Franciscans were really obsessed with it. The screenings at the Red Victoria movie house, um, rest in peace, it's no longer there, but the screenings at the time were created by um, someone who worked with me on Midnight Mass, uh, my you know, cool. stage manager, Sam Sharkey, who is very, he's a lot younger than me and very cool and very sweet and he was, uh, he started this thing and he invited me and of course I was like of course I'll come so I went and what I didn't connect with as much was the audience seemed to be making fun of the movie mm -hmm. cynically more than celebrating the movie mm. and sure. I went to a screening where um, Tommy Wiseau was there and and so oh, what a guy. I was uncomfortable. It was awkward for me as someone who puts people up on a pedestal and celebrates them. Yes. You know, like if I ever brought Elizabeth Berkeley to Midnight Mass, which I would love mm -hmm. to do someday, no part of me would be making fun of her. None. Yeah, absolutely. And if the audience made fun of her, I would be mortified. Um, so what I did not connect with in terms of the room and its fandom was sort of the snickering, you know, it was like, I never, I, I, I didn't particularly like Tommy Wiseau. I wasn't a fan of the movie enough to care, but I went to this screening thinking that fans of his would be super into it. And it was just, would be into I don't it, like know how, Rocky Horror. More yeah, like it was, but it was jokes weird. jokes in jokes. We make the callbacks because. We love it. Yeah, we yeah. know the line so well that like, we know whatever joke could be the setup to that punchline instead yeah. of it being like making fun of it. Yeah. yeah. This was more like pe hate watching. Aww. People enjoyed. But anyway, so so I I so I've never done the room. I appreciate that it's a cult movie. I appreciate what it's done for sure. I love mm -hmm. the disaster artist, but it's not um I wouldn't say that I'm a part of the room community. <laughs> <laughs> You're not in the room. I'm not really in the room, no. <laughs> um, I there were a couple of movies that I've seen in the last year that I don't know if you've you've pro you probably have seen them, but I wanted to ask if you had. Okay. The Love Witch. Oh, that's the Anna Biller movie, right? Yes. Yes. Yes, yes I have. It's gorgeous. Beautiful. Gorgeous. Yeah. Love it. Gorgeous. Okay, and then the Theta Girl. <laughs> no. So that's, it's super indie, and it's, um, I'm, I'm going to send you the YouTube trailer, because okay. it is so 100%, uh, if it was not directly inspired by All About Evil, 
It's definitely, really? yeah, it's about a, a, a bunch of college age kids that uh, one of them has access to a drug called Theta that literally takes them mentally all at the same time to a different plane of existence. So like, there's like a meta reality happening at the same time, but then uh-huh. also there's a mass murderer happening at the same time oh like on a killing spree i well i definitely want to see it <laughs> yes i have to I'm, I'm gonna send it to you she's made okay. me watch it once and i was just kind of um staring with my mouth open the entire <laughs> time and i didn't really know what was happening but oh, i can say that good. i came out of it enjoying it <laughs> okay <laughs> well that's the last like midnight movie i watched at my hometown art theater Mm. back in Albuquerque. Uh, so that was just... I, yeah, I, you have to know about it. I need you to know about it. i got to send it to you. Okay, please do. Uh, <laughs> so I know you don't want to pick favorites, but you would put Rocky Horror in, like, your top favorite movies of all time. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you have a favorite song, a favorite scene, a favorite character? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, favorite character is Frankenfurter. I mean, okay. It it's. I mean, it. I, I just feel like that character and the universe that they've created. It's got to be Frankenfurter, and Tim Curry is just <laughs> you know beyond. It's all. It's on beyond. another level. I mean, I think it's one of the yeah. greatest. I would argue it's one of the greatest cinematic performances of all time. Like yes, you know, I agree. You know, and and people who don't. Uh, understand that I I don't care you know I don't um, but if you really if you if you to watch that performance um, it's just incredible it's so yes. good mm-hmm. um, he embodies him to a, a whole other level yeah other and just level. does something completely and wholly unique that is is just com- you know totally magical mm-hmm. and you know if it were easy to do we'd have seen it. Um, you know, done again. But I, I would argue yeah. that no one who's ever played Frankenfurter since uh, will ever do or be able to do what Tim Curry did. I and agree. yeah, and you know, the same can be said for Margaret Hamilton as the Wicked Witch uh, of the West. Mm-hmm. It's like there will never yeah. be a Wicked Witch that's better than Margaret Hamilton. You know, like oh, it's you know there will be good witches. There you know there'll be people who play witches, and it'll be but that th- that performance is so iconic. It is so, it's so part of the fabric of our culture that it redefined, mm-hmm. you know, what a witch is. And Tim Curry did that with Frankenfurter. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, a favorite song. I mean, I guess I'm Coming Home would be, oh, I don't know. Pick. I don't know. I Because I, I like, like the them balance. all. I do. <laughs> um, I'm going home. Uh, I'm going home or... Well, science fiction double feature. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's so hard, hard to pick. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry to be putting you through this. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> and as far as a favorite scene, probably the whole um, arriving at the castle, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, yeah. 
including like, you know, them showing up through the time warp and then being brought up to the lab. Like that whole sequence. It's like mm -hmm. Dorothy arriving at Oz, you know, it's yes. like, it's so amazing and otherworldly. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yes. Oh my gosh. Do you have any favorite like conspiracy theories or any personal conspiracy theories? <laughs> no, I don't. That's a good question. <laughs> I don't really have any or know of very many. Well, hmm. that's, that's great because I have a whole bunch of questions I need you to clear up for me about this movie, okay? Okay. <laughs> Dr. Scott, do you believe he can walk the whole time or it is a byproduct of being demedusid? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I think I always read it as a byproduct of being demedusid. Sure. Th then how does he get to the castle is my next question. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he wheeled himself there. <laughs> so he's close enough. He lives close enough to Frankenfurter that he can just wheel his wheelchair over? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Because if he's that close... Does that mean Brad and Janet could have just as easily walked to Dr. Scott's residence instead of poking around oh, at that's, that's a good question. place? These are the questions that keep us up at night. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, but I can't figure out why he'd want to be in a chair. Like, he didn't use it to any great effect, you know? Well, okay. So, we, we talked about taking the Denton affair as canon, right? Uh-huh. In Dr. Scott's statements, there is a, a joke in there that the reason he's wheelchair bound is that he slipped on a banana peel. And he's now oh. too scared to walk and slip on another banana peel. So he's just using a wheelchair now. Oh, <laughs> I actually like that. That's really good. <laughs> yeah. Because then it's also like... I want to see an alternate timeline Rocky Horror where, like, yeah, Brad and Janet are like, no, that castle was kind of freaky. Maybe we should just keep walking in the direction we were supposed to be driving. And maybe <laughs> right. it's on the other side of the dead end sign. Like, maybe that's just to throw people off of Dr. Scott's personal driveway, you know? His alien maybe. hunting. <laughs> but why wouldn't Brad know he's over there? I think that, like, maybe Dr. Scott had given them, and like, the address, and they had looked it up and, like, plotted it out on the map, and then just maybe made a wrong turn, and, like, they ah. hadn't been there before, so they didn't that really know That actually makes a lot lived. of sense. That works. <laughs> that <laughs> adds I, up. I think they went the right direction. Brad was paying a lot of attention on the drive took the right turn, and then it was truly like a, well, I, I don't remember this dead end sign being here. Yeah, like we've cut, we've been here a bazillion times. Like, there's it's usually a clear path. I thought we took the right turn at that fork back there. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but then I'm also wondering if Dr. Scott did send Brad, Janet, and Eddie as a first wave to to go I, spy on Frankenfurter. Right, and to get 
some alien intelligence. Huh. Because he's described as the rival scientist, you know? Right, right, right. Oh, yeah, that's true. So we're just trying to, like, figure out what the actual relationship here is between Dr. Scott and Frankenfurter. Yeah, because they definitely are aware of each other. Dr. Scott's who actually introduces everybody watching and Brad and Janet to Frankenfurter for the yeah, first he's, time. Yeah, he's the first person to say his name. And mm-hmm. he says they meet at last. So right. I'm just... I'm wondering if they, because then too, Frankenfurter makes insinuations that Dr. Scott was a former Nazi doctor Mm -hmm. doing human experimentation. And it's all just very confusing. His character, (laughs) man, I think about Dr. Scott, I don't want to say he's my favorite character because he confuses me. I wonder if you could ever... I would love to see a script from the stage show. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I've never, I've never read that. I don't know if that's available. You know, I wonder... It would just be interesting to see where all this stuff, you know, like how it started. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Patricia tells the story of like, you know, the time warp wasn't in the stage show. You know, Richard mm-hmm. O'Brien and his wife wrote it overnight because mm-hmm. Jim Sharman needed something in that moment you know so Mm -hmm. it's sort of like huh i wonder if there was more i wonder if dr scott made more sense earlier (laughs) you know like (laughs) and somehow somehow it got convoluted along the way it got too too much went flying everywhere (laughs) right um because i also think that a lot of it just didn't make sense and they were okay with it you know yeah sure because it's like he also he has this note from eddie right that he reveals during the dinner scene. How did he get right. that note? I always thought it was like a letter that was sent. Hmm. <laughs> By post. That's why it's taken yeah. him a couple of days to come investigate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I would love to see the envelope because it is, is it also uh, like finger painted on there and in, in what looks like ketchup? I don't know, probably. <laughs> Just the address, Dr. Scott, next door castle. <laughs> I mean, one thing that people don't really talk about that we talked about at the interview with um, Nell is the fact that people often put uh, Nell, you know, they put Columbia, sorry, in <laughs> this sort of um, familial uh, relationship, you know, with the other aliens. Right. But, yeah, yeah. but Columbia wasn't an alien. Yeah, no. she was a human you know. that got, like, dragged in. She right. So yeah. I actually am, like, kind of always thinking about, like, what is Columbia's story? <laughs> like, how did she, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, like we always, because it makes sense. Like, we put her, you know, she is kind of by default one of the aliens. Like, because she's been yeah. adopted and by them. She leaves the dinner scene right before Dr. Scott reveals that they're aliens. So she doesn't have... She, she may, may not, not even yeah. know that they're aliens. She right. may not know that they are cannibals or aliens. Like, this may all be brand new information to her. Mm-hmm. Oh, And then she also can't defend herself and be like, what? I'm not an alien. Don't, right, right, Don't right. think I'm an alien. That would be interesting, too, if it's like... 
they lump Columbia in an alternate timeline, Rocky Horror. You know, they lump Columbia right. in and they shoot Columbia because they think she's another alien, but no, turns out the entire time she was just another poor human that got, that got sucked in. Yes, suckered in. Yeah. Oh, man. Hmm. Because it's like, what the fuck kind of coincidence is it that Dr. Scott shows up when Brad and Janet are there? It's just, it's all bizarre. I love that you guys sit and think about all this stuff. <laughs> I kind of am like, oh God, am I going to be up all night now? <laughs> You're going to be rewatching certain parts of right. the movie over and over again. Well, I know, like it's funny, I know it pretty well, but then, you know, you, you realize like there's a lot of minutiae in that movie and yeah, a lot of yes. background to look at, you know. Yeah, and we're finding just straight like, up unanswered questions. Yeah, we're finding yeah. like weird things in the Loose background, ends. like um, comic book covers or like magazine covers that are just shown briefly. But then when you look at what's included in those issues, it's stuff that's relevant to the actual like plot of the film. Mm -hmm. ah, it's so bizarre. Cool. Like, yeah, the, it's so because Brian Thompson, the production design, designer, yeah, yeah was. Uh, so involved in the building of Rocky Horror Picture Show's universe that when they did shock treatment, he got a co-director credit for... Helping mm -hmm. to create that universe. Well, he reconceptualized it to be like reality TV, for mm -hmm. it to be on a soundstage the entire time. And so they were like, well, that's a brilliant idea. We need to give credit to the guy that came up with that brilliant idea. Yeah. So, like, I have to give him some credit for what he does in Rocky Horror. Oh, yeah. That's it, 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 amazing. Because they talked mm -hmm. about that, actually, in one of the interviews I did about how they uh, used, the, you know, the sets were all built on the exact same soundstage. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. like, you know, they would shoot out an entire set, then break. He'd go in and build the next one, and then they'd come mm -hmm. in and shoot the next chunk yeah. that's insane mm -hmm. yeah it is the the laboratory the pink laboratory and the final like ballroom scene where they do i'm going home and mm -hmm. uh, rose chimp my world those are the exact same room yeah exactly yeah that's like, crazy it yeah. is wild Ugh. if someone who is not familiar with rocky horror were to come up to you and ask what does rocky horror mean what would your answer be? <laughs> oh, I would say, okay, so when you say, I have to ask you, is that all they're asking? What yes. does Rocky Horror yeah. mean? Or is they this someone who's familiar? On, on like the website that they're selling tickets at their art theater and they know okay. that you're really familiar with it. Like, should I, I would, go to this? What does this I would mean? Say, what is it about? I would say um, Rocky Horror refers to one of the greatest cult movies ever made or one of the greatest stage shows ever made and because you're so unfamiliar with it and you you don't know that how to answer that question my <laughs> advice to you is to go see this you know immediately uh don't yep. read don't 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 read anything just go see it and experience it and enjoy it but it it mm -hmm. really means uh what's the word i want to use it's really all about self-expression and following your dreams, being yeah, your dreams. But then on the flip side, I love that Rocky Horror is, you know, really about the Frankenstein monster. You know? Yes. Yeah. 
you know, and, and oh, the yeah. whole thing is really a send up to the Universal Monster movies. And uh, so is Death Becomes Her, which, mm -hmm. you know, I was thinking about mm -hmm. a great double feature between Rocky Horror and Death Becomes Her. They have a lot in common. Uh, That's that something you guys can talk about feature. in another episode. Yes. Heck yeah. What a good idea. <laughs> and when we bring you to the Frida, we can do the double feature. Perfect. Right? There we go. <laughs> and then is there anywhere, tell us where we can find your latest stuff, where we can look at you and ogle at your beauty. Yeah, just quick, <laughs> Well, uh, let's see. I'm I'm verified, meaning I have a check mark uh, next <gasps> Ooh, to my name mark. on She's Facebook, fancy. Twitter, and Instagram. So you can pretty okay. easily find me at any of those. And then uh, my shows now my online shows have moved to peacheschrist.live and um, I'm doing uh, now merchandise um, with a company called Bay Merch where they feature Bay Area artists and so if you're interested in seeing what merch is available for peaches uh, that's baymerch.com love it thank you so yes, much thank you're you welcome so much. thanks for having me Thanks a million times to Peaches Christ. <laughs> and thank you for tuning into this very special presentation. And don't forget, on, on Wednesdays, Wednesdays, we watch Rocky. Bye. Bye. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps us out, and we appreciate all your feedback. We'll see you next time.